Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. New Amsterdam Radio starts now. Welcome citizens, New Amsterdam Radio, dare I say, it's no longer the name of the show. It's officially the award-winning New Amsterdam Radio, which is true. The Lit Award uh, for Talent came in, Best Presentation in the Talk Show category. Got the certificate this week, posted it up on social media. It's official, official. Check it out at New Amsterdam on that Instagram and at New, unders- at new underscore Amsterdam on that Twitter to see that certificate in all of its glory. Haven't got the hardware yet. It's on route. New Amsterdam Radio is a podcast for creatives, but what powers New Amsterdam is Seed Geek. You know, when I go around town to see cool sports events and get myself a slice of that culture, I use Seed Geek, and I want you guys to use it too. Use promo code FLOBITO, that's F-L-O-B-I-T-O, for $20 off your first order. In fact, when you get there, tag me in your photos on social. Be like, yo, FLOBITO, I made it. What's up? <laughs> Definitely appreciate it. Today's episode, we're hanging out with Medina Alam, who is someone that took the idea of helping others to the next level. She is a licensed mental health counselor and moved from the East Coast, I guess the Northeast Coast, Tri-State area, down to the Carolinas in the midst of the pandemic to further her practice and be able to sit and talk with her and how she helps with others and also builds a platform for herself is something we can all learn and pull from. And I think I would thank you, the listeners of New Amsterdam Radio, asking for more uh, clients or asking for more guests, excuse me, that really dive into the mentality of what it means to be a creative or an entrepreneur. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to the show. And that's why we get to say things like the award-winning New Amsterdam Radio. <laughs> this is Flobo Boyce, the mayor. You can follow me over at Flobo Boyce on that Twitter. Just say hi, say hello. And uh, enough of my rambling, enough of that. Without further ado, my chat with Medina Alam on New Amsterdam. Welcome back to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. It is I, the mayor, Flobo Boyce, in the mayor's office, hanging and chatting with people who are doing the dang thing. And my guest today is helping us out in the mental space, which sounds kind of esoteric. We're going to figure out what that is and what that means for creatives and entrepreneurs. Please welcome Medina Alam to the show. She's a licensed mental health counselor. And I'm going to just ask her all the questions. How's it going today, Medina? It's going good. No pressure over here. No, no, no. You know what it is? Uh, You know, sometimes I say things I'm trying to like change my vocabulary. And so I always said, pick my brain. But then one time I think I thought about it, I go, that's pretty gross. And so (laughs) I was like, well, how am I going to say that without saying that? So that's pretty why I got myself right now. Uh, It is a hot day in in Los Angeles, uh, but we're talking about the changes of weather and we're changing the weather patterns over there. You're in the East Coast where they actually have seasons. Tell me more about seasons. Um, I know for my immediate family, there is that whole thing about season affective disorder, about how that in- impacts someone's uh, mental state. Now, the question I have for you is not about that specifically, but rather like how important is for us to always check in with our mental state, especially when things change like weather or location or jobs? Yeah, you might not be surprised to hear that I think it's very important. Um, I think such a thing I see in the mental health sector is that we wait a lot of times until things are feeling really chaotic or hectic or really crumbling before we seek help or 
um, really check in with ourselves and see how we're doing. And I think that's part of the problem because a lot of times we're waiting until things are, I don't want to say irreversible, but yeah. uh, it take a lot longer to come back from. So I think on the daily, it's really important to check in with, um, and, you know, you bringing up the seasons is really important, like making sure you're getting outside and like, is it a gloomier day? Has that impacted your mood? Or, um, you know, what did you do today that fueled you or gave you passion? Um, so I think it's something that we should definitely check in on the daily. Absolutely. Well, let's, before we get into the nitty gritty of this, I want to talk about you, about you and the path. Uh, there's a billion or even infinite paths you could have taken on your journey for entrepreneurship, creativity, your profession. What was it about this pursuit? of mental health and medicine that really said, you know what, I'm going to, this is for me. This is when the, the game chose me, as we say. In the hip -hop game. <laughs> uh, so right now I'm currently specialized in treating OCD and anxiety. And I'll let you know, it really got me into this particular specialty. Um, years ago, I had, was reading a book called Comfortable with Uncertainty by Pema Chodron. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. No. Um, she's a Buddhist monk. I'm not religious or anything like that, but I'm also a yoga. I don't teach right now, but I am certified to teach yoga. So I'm into a lot of that kind of philosophy. Sure. And um, the whole crux of the book, which probably isn't surpri surprising, but is to learn how to embrace uncertainty, to live with discomfort and how we can really respond to the things that happen to us that are challenging. And I just really kind of ate up the book, like not literally, but I just ate up like the knowledge that she um, was giving the readers. And the role that I'm in now kind of fell into my lap. I was recruited by my company and um, found out that the type of therapy we do is we're helping people approach the things they're scared of. Because when you were anxious about something, there's a, a layer of fear and uncertainty. And so basically what I'm doing each day is I'm helping people dive into those things that are really scary and teach them to respond differently. Um, so it's just been a huge passion of mine because I like living it. And I think it's a great way of being, whether you have a diagnosable condition or not. Mm -hmm. Was it the original path or this something was a calling for you later on? Um, the, so in all honesty, the original path was I was going to be a judge or a lawyer. <laughs> And oh, I, yeah. I last minute had decided that um, I was going to go for mental health. And then I did a very like general type of job, um, treating a lot of different disorders. And then the um, OCD and anxiety position kind of fell into my lap. Um, and it, so I guess it was like an accidental. Oh, <laughs> I, there, there are no accidents. And I, the reason why I say that is for like uh, growing up, my parents are, are immigrants and, and immigrants have this culture of like, get a real job. <laughs> Most people do, but I think immigrants have it more because of what they sacrificed to, yeah. to come to the United States. And um, my mom was a nurse, my dad's electrical engineer, and I was like going to be a financial analyst. Like that was the job. I went to school to do that. I went to a program to do that. I found broadcasting and media and that opened the door to entertainment and I've been doing anything with a microphone ever since. And I always felt like the real passion will find you or whatever that may be. So I'm glad that you were going like, no, this is what I was doing since day one. <laughs> it was, hey, I had this inciting incident, this book, this moment, and now I know how I can best help others. That's really cool. Yeah, no, I love that because even as I'm in this current position, I'm part of the reason I'm here with you is because I'm finding that I really have a passion for informing other people and giving out knowledge. And I think part of it is because I got that from someone else and I want to now be able um, to hopefully share 
things and insights and information that could be helpful for other people. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I feel like it's never like a linear trajectory that we are on and there's lots of different ways we can segue off. It's so fascinating how we, as creatives or entrepreneurs or, or thinkers or doers, we, we understand that knowledge is like this flowing river. You know, you take some for yourself and you pass it down the line. It's pretty dumb. You're not trying to hoard the game out for this help, you know. I cannot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was uh, uh, perusing the website. I'll have it in the show notes here, but uh, treatmyocd.com. And I was looking at your about me little section or blurb. And uh, you were talking about a doubt and and more or less was a chronic doubt. Now, my philosophy, and I'm not trained <laughs> in anything intellectual, but I always felt like doubt was like a person's body odor. You know what I mean? You could take a shower, but it doesn't go away completely. But then I realized I see the difference on your side with the word chronic doubt. Is that something different? Is that a whole different outlook on life? Is that another condition? So with chronic doubt, it would be something that starts to now infiltrate into their life and mm -hmm. causes clinical impairment. So if you think about it, any of us walking around, we have symptoms that could be diagnosable. However, it's not truly diagnosable until it hits that clinical threshold, meaning it starts to impact your life. So yes, everyone is walking around with a certain level of doubt. Someone mm -hmm. with an anxiety disorder will be walking around with so much doubt that it's debilitating them in some area of their life. Right. Um, I, I totally understand that. And, and that threshold, because um, mental health, or I should say the, the array of things that can impact under that umbrella, very almost unfairly tends to be self-diagnosed. People try to dismiss it in their way. They're very less likely to get evaluated. Is there any kind of sign if you're in that space where you go, hey, look, I am approaching a threshold of chronic doubt. Maybe I should find someone professional to give me an evaluation for that. I love that you brought that up because I have so many thoughts. So first off, yes, you should see someone if you're finding, and I like these two words, excessive and time consuming. So if you're finding that your behavior is excessive or just over the top and it's taking up a lot of time, that's usually a good indicator that it might be time to get it checked out. And then just to comment on your your thoughts around essentially over-pathologizing, right? self-diagnosing, I think mm -hmm. to your point, everyone has doubt, but sometimes because we think we shouldn't have a certain feeling that we then kind of dissect it and ruminate on it and try to figure out how to get it to go away or to reduce it. And then it does start to become clinical versus yeah. like, oh, okay, I feel doubt because this is the first time I'm doing my stand-up uh, comedy act. I don't know how it's worded, right? Yeah. Um, right? Instead of normalizing that, we might in that moment over-pathologize. Like, oh my God, why do I feel that way? How come I feel so nervous? Nah, 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 nah. And this is only perpetuating the cycle versus yeah. trying to normalize. And that's a lot of what I do with my clients is normalizing, like, this is the human experience. You will feel these emotions and we don't need to figure out why you feel sad or anxious or depressed necessarily. Um, we can just recognize that's part of what it means to be human. Oh, great. That's actually a good uh, rule of thumb. Everyone's different. Everyone's experience is different. Uh, Cause I do feel like there's always a bunch of camps there and uh, I'm not going to say it's popular because that's always a good thing. But I, I, am, I am blessed that a lot of creatives that on the show were talking about anxiety or what it relates to what they call the imposter syndrome. 
uh, when they're trying to perform or, or do what they like to do, but there's that, that feeling that they're not as deserving of what they are. And I always felt like there was almost two heavy camps. It was kind of like, ah, get over it. Just go ahead and do it. And then there's the other hand being like, no, wait, I stopped. I could put myself out of that game. I left. I didn't feel comfortable. But you're saying there's a bit of a relationship. There's an ebb and flow to that when it comes to dealing with that at an individual level. Yeah, definitely. I think too, just with doubt in itself, imposter syndrome that you're talking about, a lot of it is you have to do the behavior instead of trying to talk yourself out of being like confident, for example. Um, Like I had someone just yesterday I was meeting with, she's like, I'm just never confident in what I'm saying. And I asked her, what behaviors are you doing that are feeding into that doubt? Because yeah. so the big mistake we make as humans is we try to talk ourselves out of the things that we're scared of or the things that don't feel very good. And if you look at like the anatomy of the brain, the part in your brain where fear and anxiety lives doesn't understand language. And so that's why it's almost impossible to talk yourself out of it. So for example, like if you're doubting, you know, going on stage, you're a singer, right? You're doubting right. it but you just continually go up on stage and you sing and you do it over and over and over. What eventually starts to reduce is the doubt. And it's not because you actually felt more confident necessarily. It was because the behavior insinuated that you were confident. Yeah. Um, And I don't know if that exactly answered your question, but. uh, Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, that's actually a very cool perspective. I, you dropping science, I'm taking it all in. I'm taking it all in. Uh, moving on just a little bit about the the use of mental health terms uh, and uh, what that means. On one hand, and I, uh, I see what I mean. Like when we say things like "that's so crazy" or "ask cray cray" or "oh, I'm oh, I'm a little OCD," we say that a lot more casual now. I've seen. I feel like it's a bit excessive. But at the same time, though, seeing these things have made these terms more accessible for people. What do you stand on that, on the use of these terms, maybe outside of medical parlance? I think it's something we all need to be better at. A big part of why our company exists is because there is a big stigma around OCD and it being just about being clean or organized. And if you look into someone who actually struggles with OCD, it's much more than that. And it's actually debilitating. Um, and so it's offensive to say something like that. Um, same thing where like you hear all the time, like, oh, I'm antisocial. Like if you really look at the definition of someone who's antisocial, typically those people are murderers. Mm-hmm. And so people are like, oh, it's talking about just not really like being around social people yeah. or not liking being in social situations. Um, or yeah, I'm, I'm so like, you know, that person's so bipolar or <laughs> right. saying like, I'm depressed, Right are you depressed or are you having a day where you feel a bit more sad? Sure. Um, So yeah, I think there's, again, because we have so much information at the tip of our fingers, we can look up whatever we want. And I see it a lot in the generation. Um, I guess I'm, I'm forgetting what generation I'm considered, but (laughs) below me, I'm starting to sound like I'm really old, but like the generation. Generation Z or the generation alpha. No, not that young. The Z. Uh, the Z's are the 20s, early 20s. Yeah. Where a lot of those people coming to me will have already said, like, I have this. And I was like, wait, let's hold up. Um, how did you find that information? And a lot of it's you look it up and you see, oh, I have this, this, and this. But they're forgetting, again, that clinical threshold. Like, right. you look at most disorders. Like most of us have experienced a lot of those symptoms on there, but has it interfered with your day-to-day functioning? 
Yeah, I, I almost feel like there's a, a a crack in the information superhighway. Like Google's been around for a long time, like almost twenty or or internet search has been long for a long time. But at least for me, maybe it's a, a little bit of a bias there, a confirmation bias or recency bias in my case. But the the podcast tab for mental health podcasts have exploded over two, three years. I'm not saying all the information presented is of the same quality or scholarly sources, but there's a lot more access to it. And I think that that may have end up being a net negative if you can look into a podcast and go, oh, I got that. <laughs> I definitely have this and live a life as if you have it without you know getting checked in, checked out. Oh my God, totally. Like I remember even when I was going through grad school, it's like every disorder we were going through, like, oh my God, I have that. And it was really just because we had so much information accessible to us and we we're learning about it and you're reading about it. And again, there's a fear in that. There's a fear in like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me versus this is me. And I think too, like even as I'm treating anxiety disorders, I talk a lot about just temperament that we're born with. We're all born with different personalities and different temperaments, meaning some people are just naturally a little bit more anxious minded and some are a little bit more, if you will, laid back. And there's right. pros and cons to being both types of personalities. But I think we forget when we're experiencing something like anxiety, that there's good attributes to being that personality type. Um, yeah. And so, yes, re refraining from over pathologizing, but also appreciating the qualities of yourself that you have even if it's combined with parts of yourself that you're not too fond of. Is it safe to say that there's many flavors of normal then? Or I guess like, okay, I don't want to speak for you. But that's kind of cool that there's a little bit of a leeway there. You're not like, there's no binary. You're right. You're normal. You're not normal, <laughs> you know? But Yeah. Uh, so for your line of work, uh, and I don't know what you do day to day, but you deal with your clients, and I'm sure you're doing your research in, in your, all, your off hours to keep yourself abreast of, of your your field how do you take that off when the day is over does it stay with you all the time as a as a mental health professional do you, do you find a way to block it out yeah i think this is such a good thing to talk about and i think more and more professionals are opening up about this but being a therapist is really hard you're holding space for other people all day long and it's it's kind of i always compare it to like have you ever talked to a friend maybe going through a breakup or something for like 45 minutes Oh yeah. Like, do you remember how draining that was? Like, yes. And it's like mm -hmm. times that by seven right. and then seven again. Right. right. Um, so it can, it can be really draining. And I think it's a skill that you acquire as a therapist, as you go on um, in your career is compartmentalizing, which um, I think has its pros and cons. Cause I know, um, you know, I'm not perfect. Surprise, surprise. But like at the end of the day, the last thing I want to talk about is emotion or anything like deep or um yeah anything deep can be a little bit more challenging for me to want to like talk about um so i think that's definitely something that you know a lot of therapists and social workers i'm sure struggle with yeah if i can be so bold how do you recharge how do you fill the cup like how, when you say not deep conversations you like put on like i don't know fireworks or pro wrestling matches or <laughs> uh, so I love working out. So that's like a good way for me to still like make sure I'm getting out of my place and being in a social setting, but not necessarily needing to talk to anyone mm -hmm. um, and not having to have those deep conversations. I do enjoy some trash TV just because it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't require me to like read between the lines and like um, right. it to be super intricate. 
Right. I hear you. <laughs> Whether it's a game show or reality show, I totally get it. <laughs> They'll yeah. tell you over and over again how to feel. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what does the, a day off look like for you? Like, what do you do when there's nothing to do at, at the office? Um, are you talking about like on the weekend or something like that? Yeah, if you, if you have weekends off, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely got to get a workout in. Mm-hmm. Um, I love doing anything outside. So like last week went to like a fall festival or like um, you know, a football game or something like active and outside. And I usually like to be back in yeah. at a fairly decent hour, um, which I think kind of le- uh, segues kind of into what we were talking about earlier about like not over pathologizing, you know, who we are as humans and appreciating the certain traits we have. Um, I'm 30 years old. I just turned 30, entered the Respect. 30 club. Oh, <laughs> but I, I, struggle sometimes with just like the way I like to live my life because I'm not a typical like used to be 20 now 30 year old of like going out and doing these you know all these things I'm in a new city I'm I moved to Charlotte like maybe five months ago Um, and just like really appreciating that like it's okay that I don't really enjoy going out and doing the quote-unquote typical things that a person my age likes to do or does do Um, and yeah, like I'm okay with like having a slower day where like I'll hang out with people and then there's, I need to go back and recoup by myself and read and like maybe cook myself a meal and just hang out by myself. So um, a typical weekend's kind of a balance of being with other people, but also recharging by myself as well. Would that classify as self-care that way? Yeah, I think um, we forget that being alone doesn't mean like that's a bad thing. I, I think there's a stigma around that. Like if you want to go like hang out by yourself or like maybe you don't really want to do anything on the weekend. It's like, what's wrong with you? Like my friend the other day, was like, you're such a grandma. And I'm like, am I? Or am I just doing what I want to do, right? right. Uh, <laughs> Everyone loves grandma. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, I probably think you're cookies. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's part of self-care is setting that boundary for yourself that like, no, like for me, I don't want to hang out with people all day long and all night. That's just me. And that yeah. is self-care because it's that boundary of like, yeah, I'm going to hang out with my friends for three hours and then I'm going to go hang out by myself and read a book. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get better at reading books. I was like, I'm the same way. Like, no, I'm trying to get better at reading books. Uh, <laughs> but yes, hanging by myself and, and, and doing that thing is totally what I'm all about as well. Um, and I, and I, I feel like, I guess... I won't say what I had to learn, but I felt that when people say self-care, the image is always like the spa day, but that yeah. gives me more anxiety because people are touching me, bro. So <laughs> being by myself and hanging out is way, way better for the mental. Yeah. Uh, and with self-care, if you don't mind, I think too, we think it has to be the spa day or it has to be this like intricate thing that I set aside like seven hours for. Self-care is something that can be embedded literally in every moment, right? Like, mm-hmm can I make myself a cup of tea while I listen to my client in their session? Can I make that tea beforehand? Right. That's a little piece of self-care. Um, you know, can I step outside and get some fresh air in between my sessions for two minutes? It's another little like drop of self-care. So it doesn't have to, I think we think it's this big thing that feels really overwhelming. And then we never wind up starting it because it's like, well, I don't have time to go do this for two hours. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Once you start doing that, it becomes more anxious. I scheduled in fun in my planner. I didn't yes. do fun today. Uh, <laughs> as a as a uh, business owner or as an entrepreneur on that side, what's been one of the some of the wins you've had 
being able to establish a new presence in a new city with new clients? Yeah, so um, just for the listeners, so I do work at a company and then I also have my small private practice that I um, started actually in New York and COVID actually was on my side there because when I moved from New York to North Carolina, a lot of um, individuals had to kind of like get used to telehealth because it was the only option at that point. Sure. Um, but I guess to make a long story short, the whole way this kind of fell into my lap was I was working at a previous private practice um, and things did not pan out. And it was actually a really difficult time in my life. Um, and I essentially then put myself out there on what we call psychology today. So it's like a Rolodex of like therapists that you can reach out to and yeah. just kind of on a whim. And it, my practice started to build a little bit. I had some people follow me from the previous place. And, um, I don't know, maybe at the time I was 27 and just like kind of navigating those grounds with obviously like no business background, just kind of like talking to other people and, um, doing a lot of like Google searches and, you know, figuring that out myself has been really cool. And also that's how no CD found me. So I always kind of joked that that difficult time in my life had happened for a reason. Um, I then opened up that little practice and then it's what yeah. led me my career here now. So yeah, that's absolutely. It's one thing I've learned or I want to be able to, to show for people. There's always that gap of I'm in my job. I want to do X and then the success image of person doing X. And I do think there seems to be said about doing things side by side. I've been, I was doing comedy late nights, the weekends while working, selling oscilloscopes and spectrum analyzers. You know what I mean? And that's something uh, I didn't plan to do in my life. I do think that there's something to be said about that to say, I know they say the American dream and starting your own thing, but no, but really, yes, I'm willing to find a way to finance what I need to do for myself and my passion, and my path. So respect right on. Let's go. Hey, you too. Hey. It's really important to hear where, because it, and you hear this all the time, and I think we're getting better at this with the social media, for example, but like you're seeing the highlight reel. And I think we forget that we all struggle in a similar way. It's just different degrees and flavors. And so like understanding that where people are currently, usually there was some sort of like challenge or barrier that was put up against them. Um, and that makes you feel more validated and relatable relates to like the experience because you've probably experienced something similar. Um, and links back to everything we've been talking about today about over pathologizing. Part of why we over pathologize is we forget that we all struggle in a very similar way. Absolutely. That's absolutely. I'm dropping the signs. Before I get you out of here, got to ask you the most serious question uh -oh. uh, of the show. Uh, what is your favorite junk food? Oh, yes. Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Me too. What's your favorite? What? Oh, my God. Yeah. I literally cannot pick one. I have to pick one. I mean, if you had to, someone goes, I'm going to get donuts. What, what do you want? What do you say? Give me everything. I would say get the most excessive one there. The one that has uh the most toppings and stuff on it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's, look, I, I want you back on the show later on down the pipe, but if someone wanted to connect with you now, follow up with you, learn more about you and your brand, how to go about doing that. So you can find me on Psychology Today. So if you literally just Google my name, you'll see me there. And then I have a mental health Instagram page. It's mental health underscore Medina underscore. And if you, if you follow me, come say hi. I would love to say hi back. <laughs> I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Once again, this is New Amsterdam Radio. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you.
Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours. 